Hello friends, this is episode 49 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. I'm your host, my name is Matt Bruff, and I am a pastor and an author, and I am just thrilled that you have decided to listen in today to this interview that I have with Peter Bush, who is currently the moderator of the Presbyterian Church in Canada, uh, also happens to be uh, a pastor in Winnipeg, my hometown, so we uh, see each other quite a bit at uh, various meetings and uh, events and things like that. So uh, it's great to have him on the podcast today. Uh, Before we jump into that interview, uh, I did want to let you know, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out on March 27th, 2018, you can actually still enter a giveaway that I'm doing right now of 24 different books that would be shipped right to your door. So You can pause this if you're listening on March 27th, Um, go over to the giveaway page and enter the giveaway and then feel free to share it as well as, you know, your last minute attempt to try to win um, a whole bunch of books. You can go and see all of of the great books that I've got as part of it. Um, So kind of a fun thing that I'm doing. That's actually to celebrate a year of podcasting. So I'm just coming up on that year. I think it'll be... Uh, you know, April last year was when I started, and uh, that's why we're around episode uh, 49, almost at 50. So uh, there were a few weeks off here and there. But uh, that's to celebrate that. And the way you enter that giveaway is you go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com slash giveaway. So it's really easy to get into that. Uh, and you just put your email address in and uh, you'll get an automated email and you have to click a link in there just to you know, verify that you're a real person. And I know lots of you regular listeners have already gone and done that. You're sick of hearing me talk about it. Um, But yeah, it's ending today. So that'll be it. I may announce next week who the winner was, but the winner will get an email. And, uh, and then over the next several weeks, they will get their books. Uh, But maybe that'll be you if uh, you enter and win. So yeah, that's about the giveaway. And uh, then I think we'll just jump right into this interview with Peter. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy this one. My guest on the podcast today is Peter Bush. Uh, Peter is a moderator right now of the Presbyterian Church in Canada, is also the minister at Westwood Presbyterian Church in Winnipeg. So that's my hometown. So Peter and I are in the same uh, denomination and in the same city. So we see each other lots, get to work together. Um, and so it's, it's really great to, to have uh, Peter on, especially because this is in his uh, a year of being the moderator of, the, of our denomination. So that's, it's really great to have him here. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to start um, just talking about being the moderator of the Presbyterian Church. Um, and you're nine months in uh, yes. for a one-year term. And I'd just love to hear what have you observed over that time, and in particular if there's been anything that's been surprising. I think the biggest surprise is that I was not – I did not have much presence on social media, particularly Facebook, um, before being a moderator. And I began posting prayers on a fairly frequent basis – and to the point that the Presbyterian.ca website, which is not designed for what I was turning it into, <laughs> um, so they pushed me off to Facebook, which is where I have been posting prayers and other things, but primarily prayers. 
Um, and I've found that surprising in that um, they have been well received. I didn't I didn't know what to expect, um, but it's been remarkable, a remarkably humbling experience to see the kind of response um, from the full breadth of the church, um, not just one pocket or one theological leaning, but from right across the whole breadth of the church. Yeah, like I've, I noticed as well, I mean, those prayers I think have been fantastic and I, I actually haven't probably haven't been able to read all of them for the amount that you've been able to put on there. Um, but uh, I've kind of seen prayer as being central to your leadership, not just as moderator, but just in my experience um, with you before as well. Uh, and I know um, there's been the prayers that you posted online as well that you're mentioning. I noticed as I was at General Assembly and you had different people um, close the sessions with prayer in their own languages. So I think that's been central to who you you are, I, I think, as a leader. Um, but I, I wonder, like, why do you think the, that this has struck such a chord, particularly the prayers being posted online? Why do you think that maybe has, has, has struck such a chord with people? I think there are a number of things going on. I'll come back to the, the prayers at the end, yeah, the prayers yeah. at assembly, because I think there's sure. something else going on there. Um, I think that one of the things is, is that the prayers I posted have been Yes, about larger issues, but they've also been timely in time. So hurricanes, shootings, those kinds of things. And I think there's been a real desire in the denomination to have a voice that would speak in a timely manner to the context and to the issues of the day, but to do that in a way that was deeply rooted in our spirituality and who we are as Presbyterians. And I think that the prayers have become a way for that um, to happen. I realize that Presbyterians are thought more of people who preach than who pray, but um, I think that this has touched that sense of we want a timely voice to speak on behalf of the denomination. So I think, mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is, is that the church is in desperate need of a pastor mm -hmm. and has seen prayer as a pastoral work um, and has really responded to that as a way to lift up to God. Um, the concerns of that we face in our contexts, um, in the world, in our country, um, that prayer has been a part of that. What I think happened at assembly, so for those who don't know, the moderator is the one who's supposed to open and close each session, morning, afternoon, evening of the assembly, both with opening and closing prayers. And I chose, as Matt has said, to give away the evening prayer, the, the closing prayers of each session to people who pray in other languages. I did that to, to emphasize that we are a, that the world Christianity has impacted the Presbyterian Church in Canada in profound ways. Mm. Um, was the, and um, in particular on Tuesday night, the young woman who prayed mm. in Kieran, Rwandan, lit the, lit the assembly on fire. Yeah. I have no idea what she prayed because I don't speak Kieran, Rwandan, right. but she lit the place on fire. Yeah, I, I remember that too. And she was one of the young adult representatives, so... Um, who I was working with that week, so got to know her a little bit. She was fairly quiet, actually, um, in her conversations, but certainly not when she prayed <laughs> in her own language with the assembly. And I, it was a moving experience, and likely she was the only person who knew what she was saying. <laughs> um, but but it was yeah, it was it was pretty pretty powerful. Um, just back to the the online posts too. I think you're right about the the timely nature of that. Um, there, I've noticed online, like there was kind of a backlash about people posting things like thoughts and prayers. 
um, and people just saying, oh, I'm praying for you. And I've done that on social media and just said to people, I'm, I'm keeping you in my prayers. But I think like what I found powerful about what you've done is you've given people language to enter into that has been theological language, but accessible language. And, um, and I, I don't know if it's the context of prayer or anything. It's, it's, it's not pushing any kind of agenda other than we really do want to lift this up to God and an acknowledgement that in a lot of ways we're, we feel powerless in this. And so we want to go to God with mm-hmm. whatever it is that we're struggling with. Um, and, and there's power in that. Yep. Um, so that's how, that, that's kind of how I've seen it. And we've used them in, in church as well. And I know other congregations have done mm-hmm. that where, wow. Uh, okay. Here's a prayer that's well-crafted that says what we're all feeling. Um, and so I'm not sure how you've done that, um, but I, I, I'm sure it's the spirit at work as well. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, they, they, they take time, um, yeah. and some come faster than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've really appreciated that. And if people, I mean, I'm sure there's people listening who haven't read any of them. Um, so I don't know if there's a way for people to... So the two, the two, the two easiest ways to find it are simply to go to Facebook um, and type in Peter Bush, um, and you'll see my face, which you can't see. <laughs> right. um, and there's a burning... So Peter Bush, Winnipeg, will get you there. Or to go to presbyterian.ca, and on that front page of that website, about a th- half the way down, there is a little... Um, megaphone. I don't like the symbol, but that's okay. <laughs> megaphone that says moderator. And if you click there, you can find them all. Okay. In PDF or Word. Okay. Now, that's, that, they will only be there until the 3rd of June. And at wow. that point, that site vanishes. That, that page, not, not, not the site, but that page and all that stuff will vanish on the 3rd of June. All right. So <laughs> we'll, we'll try to make that more accessible if we can. Like people can go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com slash Peter, and uh, for anything that we're mentioning here, and yeah. and we'll we'll provide links for that so that yeah. people can find it more easily because it, it it might be a bit tricky. But I think some of those prayers people might just want to go and read over, mm-hmm. and even if it's from you know a, a lot of it is about what was going on in that week, mm-hmm. but I think it can be good to go back even and just sort of uh, read through some of those um, if people want to. Um, now I, you're passionate about a lot of stuff, really. <laughs> So, um, if people who know, uh, Peter or have heard him speak, particularly in settings like, uh, meetings, um, or at our general assembly where he's in times when he hasn't been the moderator, Peter speaks a lot at general assembly and, uh, and is passionate about lots of stuff. And just some things that came to mind this morning when I was, when I was thinking about it, indigenous ministries, mission, church planting, preaching, history, and, and many, many more, there's, there's a big list, um, what is it that drives your passion? That the good news would be heard. All right. Um, yeah, I think that that's the driver. Um, and so that's the, that's the mission, the evangelism, those pieces. Um, I came at Indigenous, indigenous issues from history, uh, from Signet Archives and reading about our experience with PCC. Um, in indigenous, particularly in residential schools. Um, so it's been my way into some of this stuff. My parents were missionaries overseas, so part of that is also having lived overseas. 
Yeah, where were they missionaries? They were in Beirut for four and a half years in a southern town in Iran called Shiraz. Hmm. Okay, and was that when you were growing? When you yeah, were growing so up? I was four and a half to nine in Beirut oh, okay. and 11 to 14 in Iran. So that's pretty formative yep. for you <laughs> yep. and how you understand uh, Christianity probably mm-hmm. and, and ministry. Yep. And then when, my, then when I was in university, my parents went to Turkey for five years. Wow. Wow. Um, but you have not, you, you've been in Canada, your whole ministry has been in Canada. It has. So um, no desire to um, go somewhere. There have been a few moments. My, my, my wife, Debbie, um, is the daughter of missionary parents to Taiwan. So huh. we both have that, but no, our ministry has been in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I thought we could just pick something. I, I think it might be worth commenting on indigenous issues, actually, because um, I think that I know at General Assembly that was there was a lot of conversation, at least with the young people, um, around uh, indigenous issues and our ministries. Uh, and that's a big thing here in Winnipeg. Um, so I don't know if you wanted, if you had something to say to the church, uh, what would you say? I think there are two things. One, I think we need to continue to remember what the President Church in Canada did in 1994 with the confession, um, that we need to, not, not that it's old or dated, but it will speak now twenty five, almost 25 years later in a new context, in a new time. The same principles will remain, but I think it, it's, it's a bedrock we need to continue returning to to think about, so what does this mean now? Well, so not a rote repetition of the confession, but a living, a new, living into it anew. Um, so just as Scripture speaks in a new way, in a new time, I think confession does the same. Um, and so I think we need to go, continue to go back and hear what might that say to my context. And I think that it is, incri- it is critically important that we think about what it is in our context, that just as the indigenous community in Canada is not a homogeneous unit, mm-hmm. there are different contexts about how we need to have these conversations and how we need to move ahead. And we need to be thinking about what does this mean on my level as a congregation or even in my neighborhood as an individual? Are there people in my neighborhood who are indigenous? Are there ways I can make connections or help others make connections? Um, I really think that the time for the big program approach to this is over, and it is now time for individuals and congregations to engage where they are with who in those intentional ways. And I think that one of the groups for the Presbyterian Church in Canada that is very serious about this and that we can learn a lot from are the Koreans. Hmm. The Koreans, the Korean Christians in my experience have in their DNA as Christians a desire to reach indigenous people. Hmm. And I I hear lots of stories of that going on in short-term missions, in long, in long commitments to weekly, monthly gatherings. Um, they're doing some really interesting things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so re- you'd say like the emphasis needs to be on relationship building. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the metaphor that's often raised in reconciliation circles is walking together. Well, walking together actually means that you've got to be in relationship to <laughs> walk to together. together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, now, you're, you're known in our denomination as someone who loves history. 
Um, you've ed edited Presbyterian History, the newsletter that yes. we've had for many years. How many years have you edited? It's, it's, approaching, it's approaching 30 years. Yeah, so there's a history to you editing the Presbyterian History. Um, why, is that, why is that so important to you, or why is looking back into our history so critical? Why is that important? Well, p part of it is I just love history. I, 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 don't, I don't know where that comes from, okay? Um, maybe it's in part having lived in the Middle East where history matters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the things is that every, everything that happens has a backstory. Mm -hmm. Even if it's contemporary and immediate, it has a backstory. Something led to the, this interaction, to this results, etc., um, so that's part of it. Two, I just like a good story. And history's got, is full of really good stories. And third, I think that history teaches us humility. Um, that we recognize that um, the past was not perfect. And I think that that hopefully opens our eyes to recognize that we're not perfect either. Mm -hmm. And that we have both things about the past that we need to own and confess, apologize for, but there's also stuff the past can challenge us around. Um, when I look at some of the early um, ministers on the Canadian prairies, they were just downright nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just what they were prepared to do to get the good news into people's hands and hearts is astounding. Um, and challenges me um, regularly to say, yeah, life isn't as tough as you think it is. Right. Yeah. So you love story. So can we in, let's indulge the, the listeners here. And um, why should people first of all, why should people know about James Robertson? So Robertson <laughs> and, and then tell the story or favorite story from from his life. But, but tell people who it is first. So, so J James Robertson. Um, became the superintendent of mission for Western Canada in 1881. He had served at Knox, Winnipeg for seven years. And as the West, so as the West started to open up in the late 1870s, um, he, the, the denomination recognized that he needed someone who would, could do some strategic thinking, who could be missional, because in yeah. many ways he was missional. Yeah, yeah. Um, in that context, and to plan and to think and to strategically mobilize people to put clergy in place. And so he was responsible for everything in terms of planning new churches, um, everything from the Manitoba-Ontario border to the Pacific Ocean, as he started. Mm -hmm. And then as things developed, his territory shrank a little bit. But um, a story. So one of my favorite human interest stories from Robertson is he was well-known by this point. So he'd been about, probably about 10 years. He had been the superintendent, was well-known by almost everybody across the prairies. He's heading back towards Winnipeg on going through a prairie blizzard on the train. And they stop in some town in Saskatchewan where the train stops. And the conductor comes on board and says to Robertson, there's a problem in the hotel. Um, there's a young couple who's supposed to get married tonight. And they've got the reception booked and the honeymoon suite booked and all of that. But the minister is stuck five miles out of town in the blizzard and can't get in. 
And Robertson says to the conductor, that's no problem. As long as you guarantee the train won't go anywhere, I'll go in, do the wedding, come back, get on the train, and we can keep on going. So they hold the train for him as he goes into the hotel to do the wedding. I, I love the care and compassion yeah. there. I also like the fact that he was so well-known that people assumed that he would do that, that, right. that, that he was well-known enough to be that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's pretty good. There, there are tons of uh, stories um, about Robertson as well. And I think, I think people, especially Canadian and Canadian Christians – I think, regardless of what their denomination is, I think ought to know about him. And I don't know know that many people do, because um, he's not necessarily figured uh, large in Canadian history generally. Well, um, but, well, but people ought to know about him. Right. Yes, I mean, but we as a nation have become a very ahistorical nation. Yeah, that's true. And maybe just as a society in general, we care less about history. Maybe even Canada more so than the U.S. I think so. Um, and uh, maybe it's important to reclaim uh, some of that and understand sort of where we've come from. Uh, we we could do an entire thing just oh. on on this on this history stuff, um, but in in the end, that's kind of not what uh, what the podcast is about. It's actually supposed to be about uh, personal spiritual practices, and so it may, may seem like a bit of a shift. But maybe you'll bring in something from some of your areas of passion and, and that kind of thing to, to answer some of this. But um, what does your own uh, personal spiritual practice look like? like? What do you do for yourself to stay connected to God? I guess there are okay. there, there are three things um, that really f- shape, I think. And I realize that this is bad practice, the first one. <laughs> Um, I've had it drummed into my head that I should read the Bible for myself and then also read it separately for sermon preparation. I agree entirely. However, I find that the sermon preparation is so rich that sometimes um, there's a whole lot that ends up on the cutting room floor that never shows up in a sermon that is deeply feeding to my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the Bible. I love reading it. I love the way it challenges me, pushes me, um, but stories I know well. So, for example, Sunday, I am preaching the Zacchaeus story, and so I read the text again this morning, and I saw things I hadn't noticed before, even though I know that text a long, long time. Um, so, Okay, so could we just, let's, let's challenge this. So, you said you agree entirely about the separation separation i don't know like do so, we really agree do, do you really agree i do because i think that yet the, yet you're finding that feeding to yeah the, because because the danger is is that i turn my devotional life into solely the practice of trying to get a sermon and that's the danger that that, right. that, that i turn my bible reading into the purpose of trying to get a sermon rather than listening to what the text says right. to me. And Fred Craddock um, would, as, as you just challenged, Fred Craddock would challenge as well. Craddock argued in his brilliant book, Preaching, that the preacher dare not preach a text unless the text has pre- spoken to the preacher first. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, the best sermons, I find the best sermons, it seems evident that the 
that Preacher has has a, a like a devotional relationship to the text and right. not just a uh, like dissecting, standing over the text kind of right. stance. Um, but I agree with you that there's a, there's a danger. Like there's a danger in um, if it's week after week after week, you can. I know I've done this as a preacher where you slip into, I'm going to the Bible to get my sermon, to get my job done, to deliver right. to the people. And yes. and that can happen. Um, and actually, not only does, I I find not only does my spiritual life suffer when the, when I slip into that, but also the sermons suffer. Yes. Um, so one way to do that, I think a strategy to combat that is to separate those things and say, well, there's, there's some of the Bible that I'm reading and, and often... If, if sometimes I'm reading my, now it's about me, but <laughs> sometimes I'm reading my uh, sermon texts and they are devotional and I am getting life out of that. But when, but if I slip out of that, then that's, I will purposely go and read something that is not right. my text. Right. Um, right. So I don't know if you do something similar or. Yeah, sometimes. Um, along the line, so a way that I try, that has happened and it wasn't intentional, just gone along the way. Um, here at Westwood, we do morning prayer on Wednesday mornings. Mm. So it looks we look very Anglican. <laughs> so it's not a prayer meeting. It is a very structured, short morning prayer like the Anglicans do it. Um, and the text that is read at that is also the text that I preach on on Sunday. Mm. Okay. Um, and I do maybe two, three-minute piece, which is much more devotional. Um than exegetical. Um, and so that helps me stay, keep the text devotional for my life. Mm, cool. um, but it is a challenge. Yeah. Um, two other things you said. Yeah, two other things. things. One is, and a, I'm a bookaholic. We're sitting in my study, and there is a wall of books, floor <laughs> to ceiling. Yeah. Um, so, And then some boxes of books, <laughs> too. <laughs> I find reading both new and old, um, theology, pastoral thinkers, deeply enriching. Um, and so that, and some of it's just I hunt and pack and find, a, just pick a, some of it's much more systematic, mm -hmm. um, but that challenges as well. And the third is that... Um, Sorry, I mentioned it in terms of morning prayer, um, but not, not just the Wednesday morning prayer, but the, the writing of prayers, the, the intentionality of that has um, really pushed me recently to be much more serious. Um, I have I moved a number of years ago to preaching with no notes. So I write a text, a complete text, but I preach with no notes. Um, and I've tried praying with no notes in public and I find it doesn't work hmm. I in fact need the discipline of having a few notes or else I end up um, praying my hobby horses right. um, so and I, that's just me um, so yeah that's interesting and maybe that uh, that can maybe connects to even the prayers on social media as well like those are obviously well crafted um, sometimes poetic <laughs> prayers. Um, uh, 
and and I think there's value in that. Like there's some that are fans of just praying off the cuff, you know, whatever comes. And some people like are amazing and yes. and so gifted at that. Um, and I I find that myself, I'm maybe more in the middle. That sometimes I find something that's like, oh yeah, this is saying something in exactly the right way, and I'm not going to be able to do that. So I've got it written out and ready to go. Um, whereas other times it's like, uh, this is this is in the moment. Um, but but I, I like that. Um, so how do you how do you remain consistent in your spiritual practice? It's been hard this year because I've been on the road too much. <laughs> yeah, this, this maybe isn't the best year to ask. It's nice to have you on as the, talking about moderator stuff, but yeah, this. I, I have a very strict discipline for sermon preparation, and then that becomes the frame that governs the week. Okay, so people who aren't preachers. So I think they could follow. I mean, now I'm living with one text. Right. So I, I live with one text starting on Tuesday morning. I live with one text for six days. Hmm. Um, and it starts to form you. Mm-hmm. You read it, you reflect on it, you read the commentaries on it, you come back to it, you bang it around, you think about it. Um, finally, you just try to say, so what is it saying to this context? Um, it starts to shape you. Yeah, that that actually might be a really interesting practice to think of for for people who are not preaching, um, rather than you know my da- I've got a daily devotion that changes every day, or I'm reading through. I think there's value in doing that. There's value in all of these things, but it might be interesting for people to explore. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my one reading for the week. And that's what I'm going to be praying and living through. And what else do I notice? What is this saying to me? Um, And I think preachers are used to that exercise. Um, But I I wonder how many others have really gone through that. And I found that really valuable in feeding as well. But I haven't necessarily thought about it until you just said it. Um, That might be interesting for people to think about Mm -hmm. trying that. Maybe I'll encourage people to, to try that out. Um, as a pastor as well, you've been a pastor for a number of years. Um, and so you've seen, um, a lot in that time in the life of congregations and communities. Uh, and I wonder about if you might have some wisdom to share around what churches need to pay attention to in terms of nurturing people's spiritual lives. What is it that we need to be attentive to today? I think prayer is a really important, no, it's really important piece. But I think that we need to give people freedom to pray in a way that makes sense to their context and who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who dances her prayers. Wow. Um, <laughs> both, I, I've seen her do public prayer by dance. Um, she did the Magnificat. She and a colleague did the Magnificat in a deeply profound, moving prayer. Um, but also her personal life. She dances her prayers every morning. Wow. I have another friend who paints his prayers. Hmm. Um, so I think that it's that, that there's not just one way to do this, but that sense of that there is um, you know, the higher power, which I know we, we know is Jesus Christ, who is God revealed to us, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we need ways to remain to keep that relationship alive and 
that conversation will take different forms, just as the conversations we have with human beings take different forms. And the skill sets and abilities and gifts we have should inform the way we communicate, mm. just as they inform the way we communicate with others. Mm. Um, so for some people, it will be the spontaneous moments. For others for whom crafting words is their thing, it'll be the crafted prayer or the dance or the artist or whatever. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't carry a tune, but my <laughs> wife often sings, which sounds a whole lot like prayer to me, like yeah. sings for herself. Yeah. Um, so how is it that we, we celebrate this great God who has made us, who loves us, and who empowers us? Um, so I think that's a piece. And can we fall in love with the Bible again? Can can we fall in love with just reading its story and letting it li live in our lives? And we've talked about living with a text for um, a week. Um, there has, over the last nine months, developed what's, what in my head is the moderator sermon. Um, <laughs> it's, it's on Luke 10. And so I preached on Luke 10 now, I think, seven times. Huh. But I have to admit that Every time I come at the text, um, I see something new or, or there's a comment at the door that takes me a deeper place or pushes in a new way. Um, the, 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 the texts are um, unfathomable. Like the, 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 there's a depth there that we're never going to get to the bottom of. Right. Um, and so can we just fall in love with the Bible again and read it and enjoy it and um, listen to it? Hmm. What uh, remind us what Luke ten is? So Luke ten is the sending of the seventy or the seventy-two, depending on which translation you're using. So Jesus sends out the seventy, and he tells them to take nothing with them, no bag, no food, no ATM card, no nothing, um, and they have to trust. And um, I, so I preached that. So um, two Sundays ago, I preached it at Chapel Place, which is an Arabic-speaking congregation. Now I preach in English. Um, but when I made the comment about, so afterwards, the um, pastor's wife said to me, that business about this, you know, just trusting that you'd find a place to stay, she said, we're all Arabs. Of course, that's what's going to happen. Hmm. You show up on our doorstep, of course, we're going to invite you in. And I thought, hmm. <laughs> yeah. You come from a cultural context that's pretty close to the cultural context Jesus was in. Right. And so that part wouldn't have been shocking. Yeah. Yeah, that isn't the, that isn't the surprising <laughs> That's not the surprise part there. of the, the text, but maybe for the average, uh, certainly for the average white Canadian, <laughs> that might be a surprising part of that that reading. Uh, that's that's really good. Um, is there anything else that you would want to share with anyone who's listening, whether they're part of the Presbyterian Church or um, or not? I I don't think so. I think that this. <laughs> I, I, I'm realizing that um, nine months in, I may have less to say than when I started. Oh, that's interesting, actually. Um, that yeah. I'm finding that, um, yeah, that I, I like a line from John Stott, and I'm not sure to plot, I'm sure it has an immediate application, but John Stott was interviewed, John Stott, the great Anglican um, pastor, biblical exegete, um, churchman. Um, late in life, was interviewed. And he said, when I started as a priest, 
I thought that what had to be believed was huge. Like it was just this massive amount of stuff. And he said, now I'm realizing that what needs to be believed is much smaller than that. But I believe it and I'm committed to it with far more depth hmm. than what I had before. And so I think that maybe in some ways that's what a part of what's gone on this year. That if we pray, if we love Jesus, if we love the Bible, maybe that's enough beyond and the, the great strategies and the great plans and the great programs actually don't matter if we're doing those things. Hmm. That's really good. Uh, I just remembered what I did want to ask you. Um, what, uh, what one or two books that you have read recently have been uh, most helpful for you? Helpful for me. So, yeah. um, so this is all about me for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> I have fallen in love with the Finnish theologian, he teaches at Fuller, Kirikainen. And he's written a five-volume systematic theology that I find stimulating, um, energizing. Um, sometimes I'm made upset by it, but he pushes me and um, opens my eyes. It has an um, active engagement with world Christian with, with the world Christian realities that that there are Christian voices that are not North American that are not European. And he mm. brings those voices in well, and he engages with world religions. Mm. I think in some interesting ways. And um, so, I, I realize that it's a that's five volumes. That's that's sort of the deep end. Um, <laughs> Everyone's going to run out and buy that right now. I know it. And. <laughs> At, at a book that I have gone back to, I read it many, many years ago, but I've gone back to just last uh, month, is Kathleen Norris's Dakota. Hmm. Um, and Kathleen Norris, so this is book is, um, so Kathleen Norris, who has written much, so this is now 25 years old, um, this is basically, is her testimony. Um, she ends up in South Dakota, in Lemon, South Dakota, um, to take care of her grandmother's place. And this is the witness of being in South Dakota and how she came to faith. Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful book. That's a great book. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. And uh, phone's ringing, so we'll probably close off the interview. We've been talking for uh, quite some time. Okay. So thanks thank so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening today. I just wanted to remind you, if you are listening to this in real time on its release day, March 27th, 2018, you can enter that giveaway to win 24 books. Uh, so head over to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com slash giveaway. And today's the last day to get in on that. If you are listening to this later than that date, which is highly probable, uh, you can always head over to that website anyway. And if you want to find the show notes to this specific episode, again, the link to that is spiritualityforordinarypeople.com slash Peter. So again, thanks so much for listening. Take care.